Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I talk to creative types about how they do their thing and how they keep it going, all the ups and downs of that kind of a life. And today my guest is a person who made it up and made it happen, author Richard Andrioli. His new book is called Battle at the Comic Expo. I keep forgetting the word expo. Uh, Battle at the Comic Expo, and uh, it's a fun story set in the world of Comic-Con, which uh, Rick volunteered at for many, many years, so he knows it very well. But before we get into the interview, I want to get a mention in for my side business, LifeCast. It's where I take podcast technology and interview somebody about their life and use that to create a wonderful audio heirloom that's wonderful for their family. It's always available online. It's a way of capturing your milestones and sharing them. And it has humor to it, it's fun, it's uh, surprising at times, and it's really meaningful. So you could learn all about that at getalifecast.com. I can also come to your big event and make a wonderful audio collage at your landmark birthday party or your wedding by talking to all the guests and then editing it together. It's a really special, cool thing. Um, the clients that I've worked with so far have been really happy and I've really enjoyed the work because it's special and meaningful and personal. So learn more at getalifecast.com. Also check out the Dennis Anyone Facebook page um, and dennisanyone.net, the website for this uh, podcast. Sometimes I post pictures that go with the different podcasts. And I took so many cool pictures at Rick and Steve's house for this podcast. Um, so you'll definitely want to go check them out. Like these cool circus paintings that we talk about in the podcast and this wonderful... Um, sort of Randolph Scott, Cary Grant-esque photo shoot that the uh, the two guys did together. So you can check that out at DennisAnyone.net. And also, if you want to donate to my virtual tip jar and help cover the expenses of this podcast, you can do that at DennisAnyone.net as well. Um, I'm also recording this in my car because I am working this uh, short-term writing gig that's kept me pretty busy. And um, I got to work early. I had some time in the car. So here I am in El Segundo recording this lead in. So that's why it sounds a little, uh, like I'm in a car in a parking garage in El Segundo, because guess what? I am, but it's been a fun gig and, um, I'm glad to, to be here. So, uh, that's enough, um, plugs and audio explanations here without any further ado is Richard Andrioli. Hey there, I'm coming to you from the beautiful Highland Park home of my guest today, Richard Andrioli, author Yay. Circus performer. You know how I describe you, how I think of you? Huh. As one of my favorite people in the world that I never see. <laughs> we used to see each other I all know, the time. I know, what happened? Oh, I moved You on. got a life and I didn't. Oh. That's what happened. I don't think that's the truth. I think, like, <laughs> gosh, you know, it's funny. We were just talking about this, my husband and I today, about um, we don't see any of our old friends anymore because once we moved out of Hollywood proper, right. um, we stopped getting invited to things. Wow. So, and then when we do get invited to things, we're usually too tired to do it. And right. so then we're off the list because we always say no. Well, so that happens. So really, who's to blame? No. We I don't moved. know. I think it's a two-way street. I don't know. I feel I bad. don't know. Congrats. You have an author, uh, up an author. You have a book out <laughs> called you. Battle at the Comic Expo yes. by Richard Andrioli. Richard's long for dick. Just I so I don't know. Um, um, so it's... Um, a fun yarn inspired by times that you spent working at Comic-Con, uh, loosely. Like, that was loosely. sort of the, 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 the uh, germ of the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when I was, uh, so I went to my first Comic-Con when I was 13, because I grew wow. up in San Diego. Yeah, and um, 
uh, started volunteering at 15 because it costs a lot to get in and you got in free if you volunteered. Right. And But then the next thing you know, I kind of liked being organizing and being right. a part of this. You thing. like having a headset, maybe a clipboard? I liked being, feeling like I was important. Yeah. Right? And, um... Literally, I got put on the registration team because I worked at Jack in the Box, the fast food restaurant, of so course. I knew how to run a register. Okay. And when the people running registration didn't know how to open it, I was like, well, usually if you lift it up, there's a release switch. And there was. Wow. So at 15, I was suddenly running the registers for all of the convention. Wow. That's a big job. That was also This years. is not volunteer, though. Yeah, this is volunteer. You're still volunteering. This is all volunteer. Yeah. This was back... So... Everybody thinks of Comic-Con the way it is now, right? This giant, giant thing. Back then, it was in the little Convention and Performing Arts Center. It was like two little tiny halls. Um, So they would have like four registers operating. Now Comic-Con sells out the year before, right? Like they're, you know, so it's a whole different beast now. But I was with them as a volunteer for... 20 years in one capacity or another. Wow. Yeah. That's some serious hours putting in. It's a lot. That's it's a lot a of lot. community service. It's, it is. I couldn't use it on my college applications, but, um, cause it wasn't like working for the church. Mm. It might be a 501c3, but nobody yeah. looks at it as a volunteer thing. Who do you remember from those early days of Comic-Con for you, like would come and meet the fans? Cause now all the big movies, everybody, all the big stars come. But who were, who were the kind of people that would come back in the day? Well, back in the day, you know, it's interesting. The uh, guys who... It was a lot more of the comic book people right in with uh, the fans. So the first year uh, I remember moving to the big convention center, it was my job to drive Neil Gaiman from his hotel to, like, a big dinner. Wow. Right? And this was He's when... He's the, the American Gods guy. American Gods. Yeah. But at the time, Sandman was at, at yeah. its height. Okay. And it was so weird because, like... I, they're like, can you pick him up? And I'm in my dented Toyota Corolla. Right. And I'm like, are you sure? And they're like, we trust that you'll actually get him there. Right. So I pick him up. And sweetest man on earth who didn't once talk about himself. He just asked me, like, so who are you? And what, what do you do for the convention? And what are, your, are you in college? And I was just about to move to Los Angeles. It oh, was the year cool. I was about to move up to go to UCLA for writing. Right. So he was like, well, that's great. I think that's wonderful. I can't do his accent. Sure. Um... And that's British, right? British, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was one of those like, oh my gosh, somebody that huge can be that nice. Yeah, it's kind of it was it was so nice to hear that story. Yeah, yeah. I've never I've never heard a mean thing about Neil, and but you're sort of like, oh well, do you not hear mean things because people are just fans, right? But then when you actually have it yourself, like you know, I've worked in LA long enough to have met some, yeah, not so sweet people, Right. right? But to have somebody who is so humble and so redirecting the attention onto you as a 21-year-old kid who, you know, wants to be a writer when he grows up, that right. kind of thing, was was wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That makes me like him a lot. I like him a lot. I you do. Should. I still like him. I like his writing as well. Yes. When did you start to think of that world as a place that your novel could be set? When oh. did you think, like, oh, I want to write about this? Or were you always thinking, someday? No. You know, okay, so when I was young, I would, like... Uh, when I was in a class that bored me or, or um, I needed to sort of lose myself in imagination, I would imagine, oh, some sort of like robbery would take place and I'd be the guy at the convention that right. tripped the, the robbers or whatever. Mind you, this is all pre-9-11 when the idea of actual violence in a real world was different. Right. You, right? you really thought that was never going to happen, but if it did, it would be cool if I could... 
It'd be so cool, and Sad. nobody would get hurt, and right. there wouldn't be collateral damage. No. And you know, if something collapsed, everybody would get out on time because right. that was you know, I grew up watching Wonder Woman, right. right, or or any of those shows back in the day, the A Team, where right. they would fire a million bullets and nobody would get hit. Yeah, it wasn't exactly Homeland, right? Exactly, yeah. right, exactly, right. So for me, this concept of being a hero set within a convention was just my sort of fantasy escape, right? And yeah. then when I started. Um, Working in entertainment, I started to, uh, playing with that idea of, you know, this would kind of be a great location because there's something kind of amazing about being in a world where these people believe in heroism. Right. And they lose themselves in it all the time. What would happen if a crisis happened there? Could you stand up and actually be a hero? And so I thought that's a really great thing. Now, I wrote a version of this as a book back in 2007, roughly. And it went out, and then the economy collapsed, and every editor that it had been with uh, got let go. But they had started giving me notes that my book was too big, that there were too many characters, they weren't being developed enough, some of the plots had dropped, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Life went on. I wrote it as a screenplay, same notes that I was getting, uh, because clearly, why learn the lesson the first time? Well, no. (laughs) No. You got your feelings, and you got you got what it is. I'm like, my gut tells me I'm right. If we've learned anything from Xanadu, it's that the muse can come, and she can also go. She can go, and then <laughs> you can spend years from the 40s until the 80s wondering what happened exactly. to her. Exactly, and she could also sing suspended in time in one glorious one take. take. The, oh, Thank you. Do you know? Okay, so tangent. Steve and I still call her One Take Newton-John because of you. <laughs> we literally still call her that. One Take Newton-John. Because we was it at Outfest when it was live on the screen? or did we? Do, I feel like that happened when we were watching it. Not just yeah, in the world conversing about it. I have this feeling like it was either at Outfest, because you guys were sitting right, right. by us when we, we saw were. that We were. We had shirts. Or, oh yeah, the Xanadu shirts on. Yes. Um... Or it was like Xanadu Live before that right. illegal production that was that done. That was fantastic, That was really too. good. Um, yeah. But it was like, I re- distinctly remember you saying that to somebody. Yeah. Like, maybe like Tony or somebody. Yeah. Or Danny. And you're like, we're just going to do a podcast and name people that nobody listening right. knows. No, I, they kind of do know them, though, because okay. I, uh, you know. You have them around. I, I mean, they're around. They've probably all been on here at a time or two. Um, but, but I remember hearing you say it, and I was like, that's the best. I might have stolen that from Tony. You know what? He's not here. I know. He's not here. So it's you. It might have been me. Anyway, she is one take new John. Oh. So, um... I love her to death. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. So anyway, years later, finally listened to the notes, rewrote yeah. the book. Done. There you go. And now it's out. And, and were you able to get a publisher and all that stuff? Obviously. Well, no. So, so this is this is all me, me, me all the time. Yeah. So this is a whole self-published deal. Right on. Basically, so, I don't know, um, every six months I have my midlife crisis. Right. Where I'm like, what am I doing with my life? What, why, why is my writing not where I think it should be? Why is my career not where it should be? Because in LA, I think especially, I think in life in general, artists do this, but I think in LA especially, you look at your contemporaries and you're like, why am I not there? Right. And I'm looking at people that I went and, you know, bought dollar margaritas with at Club 1980s back in the day. Right. And I see them owning television, right? right. And I know that they did the work, right? There's no, you didn't sleep your way there. You, right. you did it. But I worked too. So what, why didn't my story go in that direction? 
Hi, that's the theme of this podcast. Oh my god. <laughs> but, you know, literally. That could be the synopsis of it. Well, 90% of these episodes. Why are we not where yes. we're at? But, um, so I'm having one of those days where, like, uh, uh, Steve and I were driving down to Newport Beach and to visit a friend of his who's in town. And I suddenly just start crying in the car, right? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm doing Facebook ads and Facebook marketing for all of these people for a bunch of shit products I don't care about. And why is nobody selling me? And I literally was like, oh my God, you're an effing idiot. You know, like companies hire me to do their Facebook marketing. Right. All I need to do is figure out what the cost per acquisition is versus the cost that it costs me to produce a book. Right. And I can do it for myself. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so maybe you need to put on your project manager hat. Right. And produce your own thing. Yeah. In the same way that you'll produce your own game card set or your own movie or whatever it may be, right? right? So I set out this project plan and I started meeting with friends and I was like, so if I'm going to do this, how should I do the social marketing? What's your ideas and what are this? And, And, you know, the thing is, is... Friends are good, right? And if you ask them, they will help you. Right. Right? And so I knew they that... They want to be a part of something, and they also know how hard you've worked and how... Yes. How worthy you are. Your, your friends will help you get where you need to get. Right. Right? Um, especially, you know, if, if... Like you're saying, they've seen the work that you've been putting. Right. Right? Yeah. And um, now I knew certain things. I knew, like, okay, obviously I need somebody to edit this. Right? So I did hire an outside editor. I saved up money, hired right. an outside editor. Um, and there was a whole process in the editing line that was good, right? And then I had my, my thought of, okay, I'm going to send it to these people. I'm going to do these things. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, look, it's not going to get picked up. Because nobody's been waiting 10 years for a novel by me. Right? I've been out of publishing, you know, since the magazines went out yeah. back in the day. And... The websites, the last set of websites I was on got sold to a UK company. Yeah. And the websites I was running got sold to the UK company, not because they wanted to own the websites. They wanted to own my Facebook pages. Because the Facebook pages had over a million followers. Oh, wow. So these, so they basically got the websites and then shuttered them just because of the Facebook marketing. Wow. That was involved. And, and these then, are sort of pop culture themed Pop websites. culture themed websites. What were they? So there was, well, there's one that's still, actually, the parent company bought it back. Yeah. It's firsttoknow.com. Okay. Um, Heard of that. Yeah. And, well, yeah. It was, a, it was a big site. It's got over a million followers on Facebook. And then there was, uh, so that was just a general pop culture news site, right? Right. Sort of a reverent, um, uh, yeah, you know, it would do everything from like, political news of what's going on to there's a shooting in this city because we right. could get local news stuff put up. Right. And then like, uh, you know, the 10 gayest characters on television, right. the 10 hottest gingers for St. Patrick's day, you know, right. like it would have those sort of viral BS stories. There was also Noworthy, which was a women's how to site. So nice. everything from how to dress for an interview to how to, uh, unclog a drain to everything, just anything right. you could think of. Um, and I hired a whole female staff to run it. Like, it was it was great. It was golden. And then there was Top Kit, which was a men's review site. Yeah. And that was everything from, like, electric motorcycles to pizza ovens. Right. And companies would send us stuff. And oh, and then you got all kinds of free stuff. Well, we had to return all the expensive yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, like, the pizza oven literally came in a crate. And yeah. we set it up in the office parking lot, and I made pizzas for everybody. Yeah. And then we had to pack it up and ship it back the next day. Wow. I wish. That was, like, a... That was like some serious that stuff. Sounds like a fun day at the office. But all of those things, yeah. So so they were all gone. So 
you know, do it yourself. Do it yourself. And why not? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, like, you and I have both worked in professions where we spent a lot of our time promoting and building everybody else. Yeah. Well, why not? Why don't we sit down and When's ourselves? it gonna be our turn, Ricky? Oh my God. <laughs> When's it gonna be Today. 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 Yes. Oh, no, a, I hear you. I don't know why my musical career didn't go anywhere. I, uh, it went somewhere, didn't it? Uh, it went in a sh- No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, but the, also with me, I find sometimes I just want something to exist. Mm-hmm. I need this to exist. Yeah. Because the, having it not exist was irksome. Yeah. In a way that was not, I, I, I need to not be this irked about this. It needs to exist. So that's a big motivator for me. Well, if it doesn't exist, then who's to blame? Yeah. You didn't do it. Yeah. Right? So, so Rick, who are you whining about? The yeah. first part is you sending that book out. Yeah. Right? What did, what did Steve say? Steve is your husband. Mm-hmm. What did he say when you sort of um, started crying in the car? Oh, he's used to it. After yes. 17 years <laughs> and cries every right. six months. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because... because um, but did, you, did it feel like a new... Something new hitting you or was it, was it something always I, on the surface? I think it was exciting for him to see that I was making a decision to do something. Yeah. Right? Um, you have to understand sort of putting it in perspective for your listeners. Steve... Uh, is an artist for Disney. Right. And he, you know, got accepted into CalArts while he was still in high school. He got hired by Disney while he was in CalArts. Like, he has always excelled at what he's doing. There are some people that just right. get it and, it and it goes. And God bless him for it. Yeah, there are people out there that got one yes. And it... And, it, and that was all yeah. they needed. Well, you know, like, you know, the I thing don't know is, if, that, if that counts for him, but... If you think about it, like, think about when Screening Party came out. Yeah. Right? Or uh, Misadventures in the 213. Right. When when your books first came out, and when my first book, Mondo Homo, came out, I thought, yes. this is it. This is it. I'm going to get an agent, and I'm going to sell the next book, and the next book, and the next yeah. book, and da 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 And, oh, guess what didn't happen? Yeah. Like, I did get an agent, but I didn't sell the next thing immediately, right? Yeah. Um, when I worked on Fashion House, I was a writer on Fashion House, and right. Tony, it was the show Tony, Tony Triple E was, was on, on with yeah. uh, Bo Derek and Morgan Fairchild. Fairchild yes, yeah. I put the, some of the best bitchy lines into Morgan Fairchild's mouth, but yeah. um, I put the whore in horrible, that's what I did. Um, and the thing about that, though, was like, I thought, okay, here we go, We're, right. I'm going to have an agent, and I'm going to be working on the next show, yeah. and then the writer strike hit. Yeah. And suddenly now, it's a year, there's a ton of out-of-work writers. Right. Half of my agent friends have been fired from the business. Right. Lawyers are fired from the business. Suddenly, you're a year later, and you're like, I gotta eat. Yeah. And interestingly, though, that's how I got into the whole internet world. Right. Was because of that. It forced me, because I sort of took to Facebook and internet stuff quickly. Right. That I was on the, I was accidentally on the cusp. Right. right. You didn't know you were on the cusp, but you were. And yeah. You could, and you could do that stuff, and you kind of got it. I kind of went with it just because nobody else was getting it. Yeah. You know? And so then, they called it new media at the time. Right. But, you know, you had these magazines who were like, how do we do... Like, Lexus Magazine hired me to do a video series. And they thought, well, he's from entertainment. Right. And he's from magazines. And I'm like, I don't quite know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to fake it. Yeah. And they were thrilled with the end result. I'm right? sure, because you're very good at what you do. Well, you don't... I think the thing is, is that... It's it's easy for the for you, Dennis, to say that to me. But if you're in the position, you never say it to yourself. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, we say things to ourselves that if a friend said that to us, would be like, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. <laughs> it's true. What was really fun about writing this book for you? Um, being able to have these characters really come to life. I mean, the thing about it is fan culture is something that I love, right? It was at Comic-Con volunteering all those years where I came out, right? Yeah. That was where I came out. That was where I was accepted. That was where I was valued. You know, um, I was on the Sewers of Paris podcast, which you have been on as yeah, well, right? Yeah. And one of the things that I realized while I was talking to Matt Baum, the host, was back then I was sort of the token gay guy. And I understand why, like, young gays today, like, don't want to be that person, right? Right. But at the time, I was like, oh, my God, I'm special because I'm gay? Right. Like, I ate that up. Yeah. I ate up being the, the token gay. Right. Um, and it, in that world, in that staff, and the yeah. behind the scenes of Comic-Con, you yeah. were that guy. I was that guy. And, and it was fun. And, and uh, for me, what was exciting then to the book was to highlight what that culture of people are like. I don't know if that was proper English. It feels, it feels like it was. Thank you. Thank in you. In my heart, it, it landed in my heart. Thank you for supporting me. Of course. On all of these fronts. Right. Yeah, was to be able to uh, give these people a chance to be seen. Because I think the mainstream, though nerd culture has, has won. Yeah, we live day. in that world now. We live in that world now. I still they won. Think they won. Those people. But I think the public still sees them as the Spock ear wearing weirdos. Right. And I think some of fan culture perpetuates that, like right. lifts that up. But what they don't get into is the quality of the character of the people there. Right. And that's what I was excited to kind of get into, was that these people are really good people who at the end of the day yeah. support one another, you know? I love it. Tell us just a little bit, like, your synopsis of the plot, if you were to meet somebody in an elevator. Oh, God, here it goes. Yeah. Um, there is, okay, so there are three main characters in the story. There's Joe Cotter, who is the head of convention security. Right. He dreamed of being a writer back right. in the day and gave it up for a steady paycheck. I don't know who he's based on. I don't know either. That's uh, crazy. There's Ron Lionel, who is based on many a comic book creator who, if you are in comics, you will know... You'll get ideas of who I am basing this character right. on. Do you feel it's like a, a combination of people, or is there like one person that you're kind of like... A combination, but it's very heavily based on my time in the 90s okay. working for Comic-Con and okay. interactions with certain professionals. Certain people. Certain people. Um, There's people listening to this now going, I bet I know. Uh, well, they will, yes, God willing. Right. But it's not Neil Gaiman. Okay. To be clear, I had one person, because the character fakes a British accent, so they're right. like, are you basing this on Neil Gaiman? And I'm right. like, no, not at all. Uh, Neil Gaiman was a prince. A prince. We've established that. We have established that. Yeah. Uh, no, the, um, was, so Ron is the hugely successful comic book creator. Right. He is, on a certain level, me had my career skyrocketed. Right. Right. And as a result, he's got a lot of success and a really great drug addiction that he uh, can live in denial about. Wow. Because he's a functioning drug user. Yes. Right? And so there's that side of it. And I very much see, like, those guys as two different sides of where my life could have gone. Right. Right? Interesting. Then there's um, a fan. Velma. Velma. God, I love this. Velma's my favorite. Well, Vel and Velma, you know, 
Velma is, is an interesting character. Velma, Velma is this girl who is an obsessed fan of Ron's work. Right. Uh, she's not all quite there. There are a lot of fans in fan culture who sometimes take things a little too literally. Um, but with Velma, it goes a little far. And that's where the book takes kind of a darkly comedic turn. Where And it's deliberate. You know, I think we all make fun of the weirdo at Comic-Con. Right. Or the weirdo in society. But then when you start to get to know Velma, you're like, oh, God almighty. Okay, this girl. I see why. This girl. It makes sense. Needs some help. And, yeah. and so it's less funny and more tragic. Right. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, um, that's the thing. So the three of them get locked up together in a hotel room. And how do the guys figure out how to stop her and stop her from destroying either them or the convention or both? Yeah. Ticking clock. Ticking clock. Um, there is a ticking clock. And now how much gayness? There's quite, well, it's interesting. Uh, there's certain queerness to yes. it. So there is a gay character. Oddly, it's me at 18. Um, so there, there's this character named Xander who... Oh, um, what? You get to name yourself. I do. And you pick the best name. Well, it's so Yeah, and there's a funny line, like, because his parents were huge fans of Buffy, right? right? So uh, oh they, they named their That's kids That's how Xander, old we are, that right? somebody could be... Old enough to be named Xander. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the joke that I make, though, is that the parents, technically, they're favorite character was Angel, but they're Wiccan, and they didn't think it was right to name their son Wick, uh, yeah. Angel, so Makes sense. they named him Xander. Um, he is what I think I would have been had I been 18 now. Right. You know, much more flamboyant, much more not giving a fuck about right. people. That's our cat. I love it. You know, the cat. your cat has a really fun name. Kylie Meow It's true. Meow Nogue. Meow Nogue. Yeah. That... That, you have to work on that a little at the pronunciation. You do. When it's new to you. <laughs> Kylie Miano. It's like a foreign language. Okay, cool. Um, so anyway, yeah. So uh, uh, Xander is me. But then Ron, it's interesting. Ron, who's sort of the antagonist guy in the book, he's uh, of an age where he doesn't like the labels. Mm-hmm. Um, so you start to learn things about Ron that are a right. little bit queer. Um, but he will never call it that. I picture Robert Downey Jr., him. I don't know why. A young Robert Downey Jr. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a young um, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Where you're sort of like... Johnny, they're a little kooky. They're, they're a little wacky. Maybe little they... Wacky. If you were drunk or high enough, people, you'd let me blow yes. you. Yeah. You'd let me blow you, but you might probably wouldn't do it back. Right. Because, you know, and don't kiss me. Yeah. No, don't kiss me after that. Yeah. Not gonna happen. You know. Um, Are you warm? Should I no, I'm all door? good. I'm Are good. good. Yeah. Now, are you planning to go to Comic-Con this year and... Uh, with your magic? Sitting right here is my Comic-Con professional badge. Wow. However, I can't use it uh, because I'm going on a cruise with the family. Oh, wow. Oh, it's the Andreoli family reunion, which we've never done. Which cruise are you going on? We are going on a Holland America okay. cruise from Boston to Montreal. Wow. <sighs> there will be 17 of us. That's going to be really fun. I've never done that New England, Canada cruising. Neither have we. Have you been to Montreal? I was in Montreal back in the day, but I don't remember much of it. Um, Glorious. I was shirtless on a dance floor, and it was like 5 a.m. That's all I could do. That's all you can really... That's all... I think that still goes on there. Uh, It does. They have full nudity there. Yeah. I remember going to some of the strip clubs and seeing that. It's a thing. It's fun. Speaking of which... (laughs) Speaking of strip clubs... I still remember... You did like you wrote an article about like Go Go Boy for a day. Yes, that was really fun. I went and saw you Go Go dance, and you did quite well. I think. God bless you. Oh, where, where did you write that for? Instinct magazine. Okay, yeah. We were all writing. There we're was a whole writing. group of us writing for those. For instincts, yeah. Right? So so yeah, Instinct magazine hired me to Go Go dance for a day, 
and um, there was a whole thing. It was amazing. There was this shop on Hollywood Boulevard called By George with right. an exclamation point. Right. It was right in, or Carol Burnett's star on the Walk of Fame was okay. right in front of it. And so was Jim Neighbors. Okay. I don't know. Whatever. You would go in and that's where all the strippers bought their thongs and things. Oh, right. So I went there. Went shopping. I did a whole fashion montage of jock straps. Did Instinct pay for that stuff? Absolutely not. No. Of course they didn't. No. I probably got $75 for the article. But I did get like a hundred bucks in tips. You did. I may have tipped you. You did. I feel like you were Mickey's. It was Mickey's before yeah. they had the fire. Okay, pre-fire um, Mickey's. Pre-fire Mickey's. West Hollywood. What, what do you, looking back, what do you remember was the takeaway of like, oh, this is, this is interesting about go-go dancing. Well, you know, when you do it for a day, yeah. you tell all of your friends, right. and they all come to support. Right. Getting a dollar from your friends is lovely. Yeah. Getting a dollar from a stranger was the best thing that had happened to me that year. Yeah. Because now it was somebody who didn't know me and didn't have to give me a dollar. Right. Wasn't supporting a friend who was like, I think he's hot. Yeah. And that fed every gay ego right. insecurity I had. Or right. fed, no, got rid of any Yeah, it insecurity. helped alleviate that. Alleviate that, yeah. 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 That it was, was a little empowering. Thing. It was a little empowering. You That's get, cool. you completely get why somebody would want to go with it. Oh, I mean, yeah. they're being adored. Yeah. They're, there's this thing, um, you know, you're getting paid money because somebody thinks you're hot. Now, yes, I get the logic that that's right. not healthy or right. whatever, but I also get why one does it completely. I just like to imagine the fraternization of the Go-Go Boys backstage where they have names for each other like Soda Pop, <laughs> Pony Boy. They're like, uh, you know, they have these cute names for yes. each other and they have a they have a code of conduct within their own ranks, how they... Treat each other with respect and friendship and community. Oh, and support. Yeah, of yeah, course. And love, yes. Uh, yeah, especially the straight guys who exactly. are go dancing. They're, they're the nicest ones. I know, I don't know. Um, but a leap from that is the circus um, yeah. passion that yeah. you discovered. Um, you do trapeze and all kinds of other amazing For 10 years circus now. feats. That's I remember really when you first started doing it. Yeah, I was writing, uh, at the time I was writing health and fitness articles for magazines. Right. And, um, I had interviewed a Pilates instructor who told me about a woman who's opening a circus school in Hollywood. Right. Now, nowadays you can go to Crunch or right. a pole studio and learn, you know, aerial yoga, and, right. which is like a hammock, or they'll have some sort of like trapeze class or something, but it's really low and it's, it's real just fitness, right? Yeah. It's fitness and conditioning. At the time though, nobody had heard of such a thing. So when I called my editor, he was like, if you can get this, you've got the cover. So I was like, of course, cause that's money. So, um, I took the class, I had to take it in order to write about it. And the woman, her name's Aloysia Gavray. She was from Cirque du Soleil and she had just gotten tired of touring for years. And then she was in O in Vegas and she wanted to settle in Los Angeles. So she did. And this was how she was going to do it. And there were five students in the class. I was the fifth. And one of them actually was a ringer because it was all women. And so she had her old roommate come, who was a guy Uh to act like he was taking classes so that I wouldn't. Like, yeah, weird. Right. And, um, but I took to it and I did very well. And there was something exciting about being a part of something that had a physical aspect, but was also performance. And also there was artistry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and it's you doing the work, you know, it's not a treadmill propelling you along. It's you physically doing it. And, um, so I was there with the school growing and, you know, I helped them do their marketing and their PR and 
their social media. Well, and it became a that. bit of a community for you. Completely, as well. completely. It's completely a com- uh, you know our life now. Yeah. Uh, Steve started going about yeah, a year after you me. You went first, and then Steve started going. Yeah, Steve started going. I think mostly because he was annoyed that we weren't seeing each other at all. Right. Um, so he started coming a year after, and um, you know now I coach classes. Uh, this year's been a big year. This was a, uh, 2018's been a big year. I performed twice in Las Vegas at a circus festival. Fantastic. Um, you know, yeah. And like I perform at this club here in Hollywood. Have you heard of Booby Trap LA? Yeah. Scott Neary's variety show. Okay, fine. Every Wednesday. It's about an hour long. So we can come and see you perform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every yeah. Wednesday. Uh, well, not every Wednesday. Well, <laughs> they have an aerial act. They have one. I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They so have you, an aerial act every week. They rotate. You, yeah. You do it once in a while. Yeah. In mine, so I do static trapeze, which is not swinging, right? right. There's no release. It, it goes up and down. And I do drops and releases from the rope to the bar and stuff. I do those things. But um, but it's not like you're thinking, or somebody's singing like Barnum and Bailey, where they're swinging across the tent. It's, right. it's a nightclub. It's not that big. Right. Um, so I do I do things there. And it takes a bit to rig up that trapeze in that space, But um, so I don't do it that often. I do it like maybe once a month, maybe every other month. Well, I've seen some amazing clips online. Thanks. Thanks. I once went to a friend's birthday party that they had at this trapeze place in mm-hmm. Hollywood, mm-hmm. and everyone was just going to try it or whatever, and I tried it once, and I was like, oh, my body doesn't like this at all. Where did you do it? Hollywood in the 101? Yeah. That's our school. Oh, wow. And they didn't hire me to come and teach that class. I know. I sort of I sort of tried it once and mm-hmm. didn't... We can do it again. Yes. Anytime. Maybe I can try it again. But, um, but you got, it, got to, to, to it right away. I, your, your, your body kind of felt, felt it and felt okay. But let me tell you, there's been plenty of aches and pains. Sure. Like, uh, like my leg goes numb sometimes around the knee. Yeah. So I know I need to do these kinds of stretches. Right. My left hand, the fingers went numb for a while. And you know, you go to a regular doctor and they're like, Oh, it's carpal tunnel. And I'm like, I'm not a cash register operator. It's right. not carpal tunnel. Right. And they're like, well, you type, it's carpal tunnel. And I'm like, I hang from my neck on a trapeze. It might be something like that. Yeah. I put it on Facebook. And then a friend of mine who uh, is a circ performer, she emails me back and she goes, are you doing Iron Cross a lot in the ropes? And I'm like, yes, actually. I was teaching it at the time. Yeah. And she goes, you're, you're pinching a nerve underneath your armpit. She goes, a friend of mine was in a show on a cruise ship and that was what was happening to her. And I was like, okay. I stopped doing Iron Cross and it went away. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So, Fuck Iron Cross. You know, you've don't do it. it regularly. You've done it. You've checked it off. Don't don't hang on there for hours. You don't need to do a photo shoot every time. Right. That's a, that's a life lesson. I love that. Yeah. So so yeah, I performed in Vegas this year, which was crazy because that was like I was doing a cabaret show, and it was me performing with like the original hula hoop artist from Alegria and the original clown from Kidam and Mystere and like all of these like a sixth generation circus performer. Right. And then me, at 46, doing this Crushing it. Well, this was the thing. Again, I had to have that talk to myself, where I was like, Rick, nobody here is questioning you being here but you. Yeah. So stop. You know, we go to that insecure zone, right? Yeah. All of that crap, like, wells up. And I was just like, nobody here, all of these professionals are talking to you because, obviously, you're here for a reason. Yeah. So you need to be present and you need to enjoy this. And it was the first time in 10 years where I actually wasn't nervous. I was excited. That's amazing. And I was present during it. What's it like when you're not just doing it in in class and learning it, but when you're doing it in front of people, is it nerve wracking? Is it thrilling? It's nerve wracking before it. 
it's amazing during it because you have to be so present. Well, and also, right. I think that feeling, I know from some performances, when you're doing it for real, there's, a, there's more adrenaline. But right. if you do something different than you've been practicing, you run the risk of screwing up. Oh, yeah. yeah. You just get too into it or something. Yeah, you, so there's that fine line of writing nerves and writing the adrenaline. Right. And going too far, and then you're like, uh-uh. yeah. But you know, the thing that is odd is that that's helped me the most with circus and circus performance is my background in improv and stuff. Interesting, because you you know, improv teaches you not to question yourself. Just throw it out there, see what sticks. Go right. Just keep going, and yeah. if it doesn't work, move on. Yeah. Yes, and yourself. Exactly. Else. And that's been a huge benefit because. Um, you know, when you start seeing a lot of circus stuff, you're like, oh, they're doing this trick. Oh, I can see you winding up for this trick. I know what you're about to do. Right. What engages you is a really simple act with a strong character. Right? So this is the thing if you think about your background with performing. Right? Sure. On cruise ships, Dennis. Right? Exactly. Or wherever. Where you could bring something to the table and you're like, wait, I'm really good at this and not in the way that I thought. Right. Right? A lot of people are like, oh, I can't climb. I can't do this. I can't do that. Really, all you got to do is get yourself in one position and then perform. Right. And that's where you can find it. I think that's the beauty of circus arts in general is different people have different skills, right? Steve does things. He's very uh, fluid and he's got he's very dancerly. And I'm very Ruth Buzzy, um, the Ruth, Phyllis Diller, you know. The, the Ruth Buzzy of circus performers. I've often... That's going to be on my tombstone. <laughs> that's going to be the title of this podcast. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Um, what's been your favorite, uh, place to perform or you like your, the highlights so far of your circus career? The highlight, the two highlights really have been performing at Viva Fest in Las Vegas, which is right. when I performed, uh, this past February because of who the audience was, who the performers were with me. Um, at the circus school in Hollywood though, Aloysia, when she does a show, she does it up. Yeah. And there are, is lighting and costumes and it's a full on production. So all of those have always been very special for different reasons. But also performing at this, at Booby Trap, at Scott Neary's Booby Trap yeah. in, in Hollywood, has been great because it's taking me out of the safe space of the school. Right. Where 50 to 80% of the audience knows me and they're going to be supportive. Right. Now you're putting yourself in a nightclub where there's a yeah. bunch of... They've had a few drinks. They've had a few drinks. Well, I'm always better if you've had two drinks. Right. Let me tell you that right <laughs> off. Um, and I do this Richard Simmons kind of routine where I'm in booty shorts with pantyhose. And I was going to ask tops. what you were wearing. Yeah, yeah. So pantyhose. I am wearing pantyhose, yeah. For what reason? For the look or for, is there a reason? Both. So both the look fits that kind of traditional yeah. Richard Simmons aerobics thing. A shiny tight. A shiny tight. But I do tricks that would scrape up the hell out of my legs. If ah, I was in regular shorts. Interesting. So uh, they, they take some of the pressure. And no shirt. I mean, well, the shirt starts and then the shirt comes off. Damn right it does. You know, because really. That's what the kids want to see. The kids want to see 46-year-old 180 pounds hanging up Yes. There. That's that's what I hear about, at least. On I just social came from hip-hop class and I'm way beyond 46. <laughs> um, how has it changed your body? Oh, a lot. In, in ways that are surprising or not? Oh, I didn't think it would be like this. Um, well, I think I'm in better shape now than when I met you. Oh, yeah. Fanta- you're in fantastic um, shape. Oh, start. Dennis, no. But it's not I'm the shy. same body you would have if you were a gym no. boy going to 24-Hour Fitness in West Hollywood every day. No, yeah. I feel like if the zombie apocalypse came, I would I would have some skills. Yes. Right? I could jump over fences and things. I do have those skills. 
Um, What is it like when you're learning something new and there's the moment where you have to try it kind of for real? Where it's like, okay, now we have the pad. Okay, but now it's, uh, you know, now... Now I'm gonna really now try I'm this. I'm gonna do it, and what is that moment like? Oh, and what gets you over it? it? Well, it's terrifying, right? Yeah, there a certain level of fear is needed, right? Yes, because I've met these, I've met a lot of circus performers who are younger and don't have that fear, and I'm like, you're gonna die, or yeah. you're gonna hurt something, right. or whatever. You know, I'm also at a point where everything hurts all the time, right? right. So you've got to be aware of that stuff. But when, like, sometimes they'll have you do a trick where you're in a belt. Right, so right. you're harnessed in, and, and while it won't stop the fall, it'll 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 keep you from hitting, right, hitting the mat or whatever, um, or hitting it with full force. Um, but there are those times where you just you get up there and literally you say to yourself, um, "Okay, you know this, go." And and I sort of yell at myself the way I would yell at yeah. a, a student, where I'm like, "Go, just go, go." Um, or I have a checklist, like it'll be like chin tuck go. Right, yeah. whatever it may be, right before. Um, also, every time before I perform, I literally pray. I say a prayer. That's awesome. I do. Um, it depends on if I'm feeling Catholic or not. I do. Were Hail- you raised Catholic? I was raised Catholic. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I'll do Hail, Hail Mary, full of grace. Help us have a safe aerial space. I do that I one. Like that. Uh, and then if I'm not feeling Mary, I do Goddess, Goddess, full of grace, and I feel yeah. like I'm a little pagan. Did Xanadu de Kublai Khan? A stately pleasure dome decree. <laughs> I love Samuel Taylor Coolidge. <laughs> exactly. Oh, it is so an good. ancient mariner. It is. Stop it. One of three. Yes. Um, that's so wild. What are circus people like? What What's the thing that they have in common that that brings them into that community? Is there a personality traits that are more um, that they're more likely to have compared to the general population? You know, I don't know necessarily because. It, necessarily like traits that would make them do circus things but I do see there is a when you're in a real circus community there's a huge amount of support and uh, uh, community yeah you know it's interesting because like when politics go crazy right and there's this whole thing where they're like uh, elect a clown for president expect a circus and the amount of my circus friends, they get fired up about that. Right. Well, there's um, a show on Showtime called The Circus that's all about how crazy politics, politics are. And the thing about it is that my friend Victoria, who comes from a, a circus family, and she, she was like in Britney Spears' tour, circus tour, and right. she was in burlesque, and um, she was in Pippin on Broadway. You know, oh it, like, so she's like for real. She's for real. And she wrote a really eloquent piece on Facebook about like, um, this is hugely offensive. Circus people are the people that hold your life in their hands. Right. They are the people that you rely on to make sure you are not hurt or They're the killed. opposite of chaotic. They are the opposite of chaotic. They are the most thoughtful people. They have to be deliberate. Yeah. Like, it's literally the thing where, like, so and if I'm standing strong. there and somebody's like, I see a person carrying, you know, a pad out and I see they're about to trip on somebody else's, you know, sear wheel or something, I'm... Even though I'm not involved, I'm the one that's going to run over and be like, hold up, let's move this first, you know? Or, you know, you're going to check the rigging. You know, you're going to have a, you know, you're going to rig your own stuff up, but then you want your rigger to come and check and make sure it's okay also. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, that's the one thing that I do see is a huge amount of support and community and care. Right, even this hip-hop group that I go to and these Mm -hmm. classes, the, the community there is like, 
everyone's really nice. They're mm-hmm. not like competitive and different. For certain, LA. And then certainly, I think the the willingness to look silly a little mm-hmm. bit or something like that. I think it there's a trust that happens with people anyway, and it's part of, partly it's the instructor and the way they communicate. And stuff they like set that. the room. Well, th- yeah. that's the thing too. When when you know, I work at a, at a circus school for adults. None of us have aspirations. Of, right. Most of the people there, I would say, ninety percent don't have aspirations to do Cirque du Soleil right. or some sort of professional gig. So when one of them accomplishes a trick successfully and they look good, everybody else in the class applauds. Right. It's not like, oh, they're going to get the job that I want. Right. Because they're like, wow, you did it. Yeah. We all know how hard that is. Because everyone's in it for the, the, the joy of it. Yeah, exactly. How do you feel in Staying Alive when Finola Hughes says, is this a dance or a bloody circus? <laughs> I have not thought of that line in years. Yes. Uh, so I want you to say that one time... Maybe when it feels appropriate. Uh, maybe I'll say it, and everybody will go, it's a circus, what do you think? What, what, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's your problem, right? Do you remember that moment? I, why do I remember that moment? I like you totally remembering do. that. What has the circus stuff brought to your life, and to your feelings about yourself? Oh, um, it's uh, brought me a whole community of friends that I would never have any anywhere. It's brought me confidence that yes, I didn't you're know like, I had. I'm kind of a badass. Well, it... It's you doing it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's helped me, uh, not be as scared, you know? Um, in life, in you're life, you're like, look, if I can do this, I can pick up the phone and call this person, even if it's going to be awkward. Right. Well, right. what's the worst that happens? Right. You know, um, because it's not like you go in and for the most part, get a trick right away or get right. a routine put together right away. I mean, it takes work and failure, a lot of freaking failure, right? So in life, though, you're like, really? I, how long did it take you to learn to hang from your feet in the air? Long time. A lot right. of pain. I can pick up this phone and I can call Facebook and say, explain to me why you're rejecting my ads. Yes. You know, that kind of thing. Right. And you can have patience for things because you know how long they take. Um, what's it been like to do it with Steve? Do you guys ever compete in, you know, like, oh, somebody gets something sooner than the other one or... How has it well, been? one of us getting something over another has never right. been a, a deal. We performed for the first time together in Las Vegas this last February. There, so there were two things that I worked out. One was a cabaret where it was just me. And then there was a giant group number that uh, nine of us from the school performed at. And Steve and I had the uh, sort of romantic aerial thing where we were hooked by hands and they flew us in the air and we I circled. I love when and, sexy people play a love story oh, in the sky. You know, then we end up hugging yes. and then they lower us to the ground. It was wonderful. That's kind of awesome. So that was great. Um, it takes a lot of, of patience working with somebody you care about, right? Like, yeah. you know, the people are always like, why don't you guys perform together more? Why don't you perform together more? And I'm always like, because we get along. Right. You know, and I, you know... I know I lose patience with things. We also learn things very differently. Right. Steve's very much a visual learner and he needs to really see it and think about it and see it and think about it. And I'm like, what? You want me to just hook my hand up and jump? Okay, let's go. You know? Um, And that's not how he operates. So it's hard then to work together when that's your... Yeah, you have different ways of approaching things. uh, Different ways where I'm just like, just do it. Just just stop asking questions. Get over here. Um, Before we started the podcast, you showed me something so cool that you guys did a few years ago. Uh, your photo book. Oh yes, because you. I was you, like, you Dennis, that you didn't don't have, talk I, about I that. Um, <laughs> you you explained that you when you first got married, you didn't have a lot of money for photos right, and right. stuff like that. So yeah. you did this kind of cool thing. Tell yeah. me about it. Okay, so we got married uh, back during the Prop Eight window, the Magic right. Window, when we were on Misfit Island. Um, yes. So we hadn't saved any money to get married or anything. So Where did you get married? 
our friend's restaurant in Eagle Rock. Okay. Um, and base and it was it was an interesting time, right? Because a lot of people rallied and did things for us. Yeah. So those friends charged us two dollars a person for the food. The, their wedding gift to us was we just paid the cost of the food. Wow, that's um, awesome. So that was how we were able to actually have like a ceremony and a thing. Um, so we did that, and uh, but we didn't have any photos taken really. We had we had some we had some done. But it wasn't as thought out as we should have thought it out. And, right. It was a yeah. You know, it, it just wasn't was what it was. Yeah. So for our 15th anniversary, we thought, well, let's do something special. We decided we would do a photo shoot. And then Steve and I have always loved the old pictures of Cary Grant and Randolph Scott, who were both closeted. They were together as a couple. It's been talked about by their right. ex-wives and kids. Um, they would be together, they would be broken up. They, the studio would marry them off, they would get back together. Um, and a lot of the photos are very, very intimate. Where you're like, how could America see these photos and not see what was going on? Right, the twinkle in the eye. The, the, yeah, and the like, you know, they're sitting around reading scripts together in the living room and one's right. got his feet up and it's very yeah. domestic. So uh, what we did was we um, rented a house in Palm Springs. We got a friend of ours who was a photographer. She does, uh, Michelle Shire, she does... Uh, photography for like Dave Stewart and you know all these musicians and she was really excited to do this project so she and her husband came out to Palm Springs and they stayed with us uh, our friend Malia what is a wardrobe person so she right. outfitted us yeah you're the coolest clothes we did yeah like it was it was great so and we did a whole photo shoot now it's really hard to do pictures otherwise yeah. Because I want, like, a full-on set. Yeah, what, and I don't have any options for my wardrobe. Where's my Photoshop? Exactly. What is happening yeah. right now? It's really neat, though. It's fun to look at. and Thank you. Maybe I'll take a couple of pictures of it and post it with this. Completely, yeah. I can, you can I show give folks. you photos. Yeah. I read on your website, you had something to do with L.A. County Jail. Oh, that was an article I wrote for The Advocate. So, you know, there's a... There's the gay area. The gay area so of L.A. County Jail. So you went into it. I did. What's it called? Does it have its own name? Oh... I don't know. It used to be... Okay, so the derogatory term back in the day was Queen's Tank. Queen's Tank. It was the Queen's Tank. That was when... uh, So it it was where a person would get thrown. um, And and there was a lot of, like, danger in L.A. County Jail for queer people, right? A lot of the queer people in jail were pre-op transgender uh, people. um, Drug users, male hustlers, that kind of thing. Uh... There was a lawsuit against the city, as I recall, and they created a protective um, area that was just for gay gay men and uh, pre-op transgender people. Right. So, right. so basically, place. if there's a penis, you are there. Right. Okay. Um, if you are a transgender woman, then you would be in women's right. jail. Um, so... Uh, the thing about it was there were these two straight deputies who had started working with LA Unified School District. Well, LA Unified has like education programs within the jail system, but what these two deputies did was uh, take advantage of all of the assets that are afforded to um, men who are in jail, and they uh, got them on like anti-drug, uh, you know, rehab programs. Uh, educational programs, how to make a resume, how to... So uh, they were complete really training. helping them, these deputies. Really helping them. And then they found what was happening was some of the inmates who were doing well w- went to them and they were said, like, look, I can't study in this in this area. The, right. People are making too much noise and stuff. So then they started pulling aside the inmates 
who were doing the education programs right. and they put them in their own ward. And then those guys started excelling, excelling, excelling. And I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but the recidivism rate, which means you have committed a crime, gotten I mean, out and go back in. Yeah. Um, just because I didn't know what recidivism was when right. I first wrote this article, um, that you would go back into jail for the same crime you committed. It dropped incredibly. Wow. So, um, I wrote about the program and wrote about that. And that was one of those articles where you did something and it kind of had an impact because suddenly you had like, um, prisons and jails across the world started contacting LA County to see how they were doing it. That's awesome. And they wanted to kind of learn how they could rehabilitate prisoners to go back out into society. Um, and there was a transgender woman who I interviewed for the job who had gone there and, and it was a really powerful story because it, this is how it goes next level was she had gotten out of jail. Uh, there was no, the funding that was supposed to go for her to get housing didn't come through. Right. Uh, she had nowhere to go and she was a step away from turning a trick at one of the seedy hotels in Hollywood. Wow. There at the time. Okay. She was, now doing that would have been in violation of parole and she would have been locked up again had she been caught, right? So she instead got on a payphone and called the sheriffs that were at the ward and she said, look, I have no place to go. This is what I'm about to do. And they said, don't do anything. Sit in that lobby and we're going to send somebody. And they called a friend who was on patrol. They went and got her. They got her a place to stay that night. Now, that kind of behavior by the LA County Sheriff's Department is next level. Right. right. To get that, to get somebody to care at that level, to call a buddy who's working right then to get right. her and help her. Um, and that's where some people were sort of cynical that they didn't know that this could happen in other cities. Right. That it couldn't be replicated because you needed that level of care that these sheriffs were displaying. Um, but when I interviewed her, she said that saved her life. Um, and she was just about to get her paralegal degree. Wow. Um, and through like the, uh, and she was working at the Game Lesbian Center. So it was kind of like a huge, huge, huge deal. happy ending story. Huge happy ending story. And she said, she made the quote that gave the title of the article. It was like, um, angels for inmates, I think was what the title of it was because she called them her angels. And I was like, that's a headline. Yeah, I hear it. I can see it. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. That was one of the ones that I really, really. Yeah. Loved. It had an impact. Yeah. it's awesome. Okay. So before we started, you had these beautiful paintings in your home that are men doing circus things and they look like they could be you guys or it looks like you found them and you love them. <laughs> What's the story with them? So that is us. Um, That's so cool. It's crazy. Um, there's this uh, painter named Ignat Ignatov. Um, at least that's what he says his name is. Sure. No, he is a painter um, and his, uh, he was introduced to Steve and I because he was, he wanted to do a series of acrobats. Uh, found out that Steve and I did circus, right. and so he asked if he could do paintings with us. Um, and so he came to circus school in Hollywood, where uh, I coach, and he did a photo shoot with us there. Painted, I think, like 30-some-odd paintings uh, that got shown in galleries, um, and um, they sold, and it was kind of a crazy thing. We couldn't afford them by any means, right? They're really he, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's an amazing artist. He now does mostly still lifes and things because, uh, as he explained to us, those sell better than, you know, you've got to find the specific people. person that wants, you know, a guy on a trapeze, that kind of thing. Right, but, but did, everyone's happy with a apple and some bananas. They're happy with a bottle of whiskey, you know? <laughs> right? He, um, so, yeah, he painted us, and then 
it turned out we were in Provincetown that summer, and the gallery was there, and we walked in, and there were paintings of us on the wall, which is kind wow, of Wow, and you hadn't seen them yet. We'd seen digital versions. We'd right. never seen them in real life. And, that's um, cool. It's, it's interesting, because when you see the faces, you're like, I think that's supposed to be you, but they, they don't really do our they're faces. A little more, yeah, they're a little more impressionistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Did they believe it, that it was you? They didn't initially, and so Steve and I go... Well, here, let us show you. And da, was, da, da, da. Yeah, they, they, they were, we did partner balancing uh, yeah. stuff. So, like, I got down on the ground, and I lifted Steve up in the air, and it matched one of the paintings, and the guy was like, oh, my God, can I get you wine? And I was like, of course. Yeah, you can get us of wine, course. and you can start believing us when we say we did Say something. things. Yes. We're not drunk yet. Yes. Do you ever say da-da-da-da when you're doing tricks? I often do... Yes. Yeah. Anytime I do a spin, I do that song in your head, and you kind of make a sound. Oh no! Sometimes I do it out loud. That's really cool. There is a straddle spin where you spin underneath the bar in a circle, and I always do that sound. And now, like the students do it. Yeah. What's your best trick? Where you're like, oh, that was hard. (laughs) I'm my best trick. Exactly. Uh, Everything is hard. Uh, The two that are the hardest are a neck hang where. You hang from the skin on the back of your neck. Yeah. And you arch underneath the trapeze bar. Because this is a lot of weight. Yeah. And I'm not very flexible. You see, women do it a lot and they're very, very bendy. And they can bend yeah. underneath the bar. Yeah. And I can't. So it's a lot of just, like, holding it on. Uh, and then there's another trick called the plonge. Uh, where you look like Superman. You're, you're flat to the ground. Wow. Um, and... Uh, it, it plonge is French for plank, I believe. That makes sense. I don't know. I don't speak French. Le plan- that sounds right. Um, and that's really hard. And one of the big jokes in the routine that I do is I do it three times up and down. I just keep going up and down in slow motion. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, what makes it funny is that if you don't know what I'm doing, it's just funny because I have this creepy look on my face as I'm going up and down. And if you are a circus person or, like, a, an acrobatics person, you know how hard that is. Right. So you're kind of cheering because you're like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. Um, you did something else that I'm really uh, curious about because I've always wanted to do it. You got to be on a home makeover show where they come and do fix up something. Yeah, we were on HGTV uh, a while ago. Like, yeah. Um, your, your house before this one. The house before this one. 14 years ago, I think. Yeah. There was a... Um, so we had a little house in Echo Park, which is, um, you know, a little suburb outside of downtown yeah. LA. Small properties, little tiny yards. And there was a British show we were watching called City Gardener. Right. Uh, which was starring Matt James, and he did urban backyards. And they were always very, very small. Turned out, just by luck, that we bought the house. I went on the HGTV website, and he was doing a U.S. version of the show. Right. Um... Having watched enough HGTV and being a writer, I kind of knew how to sell plots. So I'm like, you know, first-time homebuyers don't know what to do with their yard. First-time homebuyers spend all their money on the house. And now Rick, who works at home, has to look at this. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So we just threw out a bunch of scenarios to the producers. Also, the yard was crazy. Yeah. Right. I uh, watched it before I came in here. Oh, did you? Yeah. I love a before and after. It's great. It It was gorgeous. Yeah. And it's hard now when we have this new house where I'm like, I kind of need the yard done and I don't want to pay for yeah, it. Now that, spoiled. Now that I've won the lottery for exactly. backyards. What, was there any part of that experience where you're like, oh, I didn't know they did that? Or, like, or is it pretty much like what you see on TV? Where um, you don't really see it until the moment. And in, in that case, we... So, I don't know how they do the other shows. In that case, what they did for us was 
we did know what the design was going to be. We had seen it in advance. Okay. Because they wanted us to be happy with the end result. Sure. So they knew that we wanted terracotta tiles in the backyard. They knew we wanted some sort of seating area. Um, they knew that we needed to change the paint. And we need, and they knew we needed the right type of plants to grow in that yard. Because right. the sun hits it weird. So uh, we knew that stuff. The one trick they did was Steve couldn't be there one day. He had to work. And... Uh, they didn't do it deliberately, but I had on a sweatshirt at one time while I was painting, and then I had on a t-shirt another time when I was painting, and they had it be both of us. Oh, so, so they used playing. me for yeah. both. Uh, there you go. Um, one time it was him, him as yeah. an arm, and the other time they showed me. Yeah. There you go. That was the biggest... That was the biggest lie. That was they the biggest Hollywood magic. Perpetuated on the American people. That's so cool. The best part... It, it turned out great. It turned out really great, and they did it in a week. And you have to help. In that you don't case, just go did. to the you know Four Seasons Hotel and they show up <laughs> in a week. Depends on the show. I guess. In yeah. that case, uh, we did a little bit of help, but not much because yeah. when they have a week, they're like, we need to, we need you out of the way. Yeah. Right. Um, because they wanted to get that show done. Yeah. In, in the amount of time. I love yeah. it. All right. You picked some questions from the observation. I day. did, and I'm totally nervous. Okay. Okay. What was the first album, cassette, CD, or MP3 you ever bought? The Mamas and the Papas, Creek Alley. Wow. Is that the most That's weird very, thing? very, like, Laurel Canyon-y. Very, like, I don't... Okay, so I can tell you exactly the reason I loved Mama Cass was because she was in the H.R. Puff and Stuff movie. Okay. And she did this song called Different is Hard, which different, yes. is hard, different yeah. is lonely, which, by the way, is how I ended up speaking to Malcolm Getz at a party one time. You remember from Caroline in the City? What happened to him? Uh, went back to New York and is doing New York-y things. Okay. We good. were at a party and some, uh, he started singing a song and I looked at him and I said, how do you know Mama Cass's song from the H.R. Puff and Stuff movie? And he said, how do you know the H.R. Puff and Stuff movie? And that's how we hit it off. But I always had a love for uh, their sort of like hippie rebel music. And yeah. so when I had my money, I didn't know what was hip and young. So I thought I'd be alternative and buy this old timey album. I love yeah. it. It's mm-hmm. great. It's a gem. What's your idea of the perfect day? Being able to have a nap. You love a nap. I love a I'm nap. I'm not a good napper. Are you not? No, I, 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 I'm okay at it, but I have friends that really can do it, but I, some, I don't always feel refreshed. Sometimes I feel like... Groggy and... Groggy and out of it. Yeah, no, I like to... How uh, long is the perfect nap? 45 minutes. 45? 45. Like in that area. Like 40, we'll set the alarm for, for an hour, right. but at 45 minutes we both wake up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why, but I love, I feel like it's a successful weekend if I get a nap in. I love a nap. Well, I'm cu- we're cutting into your nap time. It's okay. What's the coolest thing you ever got for free? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's the coolest, but I thought it was the coolest at the time. At a, so there used to be a company called Creation Cons, and they used to hold Star Trek conventions. Right. I did an imitation of Chekhov from Star Trek Four or Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, sorry. Right. Uh, and I won a Uhura plate from the Hamilton Collection. That's cool. I then eBayed it later for like a hundred bucks. So really? it was really that was a win. You paid your phone bill or something. Or something, yeah. Yeah. When I was living up in LA. Yeah. There you go. Who was your biggest celebrity crush when you were a teenager? Oh, John Wesley Ship. Yes, from Guiding Light. From Guiding Light. Yes. Yes. He played Morgan. Yeah. It was Kelly, Kelly and Morgan. Morgan. He was Kelly. He was Morgan Kelly. was the girl. Oh, Morgan was the girl. Yes. yes. Kelly and Morgan. And they played um You Needed Me. 
was their song. That was their song. The Anne Murray song. Yes, Me, 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 their song. When she walked up the hill in that wedding dress for like two hours. Yes. Uh, and they get married. Uh, yeah, he was my first. And then they changed Kelly's. Did they change them? No, maybe not. That was Philip Spaulding. I'm thinking. Oh, Philip Spaulding, they did. They he did. was handsome, and then they got that tall, thin guy who was also handsome. But... Yeah, they were just handsome in different ways. Yeah, and what... John Wesley Ship who I turned were... out being to be a member of our team. A member of our team, and I found that out when I first moved to LA because I ran into him. Uh, I worked at the athletic club in West Hollywood, which was an infamous gym. Oh my gosh! Um, and he came in, and I was like, Oh my god! It's him. And um, I wrote in an article uh, for Gay.com. When I was working on Gay.com, I wrote about like, that he was my first celebrity crush, and he actually reached out to me on Facebook. That's so cool. So we became friends on Facebook as a result of that. I love that. Yes. When you were working at the athletic club, how bathhousey was it, and did you did it affect your job? How, <laughs> like, were you like, oh, can somebody go in there and break that up? Or, like, was it a pain in the ass? Okay, so... Uh, there were times when it was very sexy and hot. Right. Okay. Uh, it would go in waves. Uh, right. Being crazy or not crazy. My favorite thing to do was I would... I had to sometimes, like, at the end of the night, you weren't allowed to leave locks on the lockers overnight, on certain right. lockers, unless you paid extra money. And so I would walk into the steam room with the bolt cutters, and I'd say, hey, guys, what's up? Right. And I just thought that was funny. At so 21, funny. I thought that was funny. Yeah, they were like, oh, this is a... They're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I can see what you're doing. And um, you've got bolt cutters, though. Right? Like, I think you're... Uh, hey, guys, what's up? Right? That's fun. Um, any scars or tattoos with stories? Just... So, I have these scars on my feet, which your audience at home cannot see. Yeah. Right here. at the t- Right where my ankle meets my foot. That's where I hang from my foot on the track. Yeah. Um, so it, nothing big. Like you get these scars from hanging multiple times. The skin does that, uh, right. does the callus and the scar. Uh, but my mom, okay. So visiting my mom in San Diego, playing with my nieces and nephews in the pool. And I come out and my mom's like, why do you have stigmata on your feet? I love that my mom sees this and thinks in Catholic tradition that I've right. got stigmata. Yeah. God bless her. That's so, so good. So, so she really, thinks it looks like stigmata. Yes. Because you know, Jesus was really nailed through the Ooh, ankles. Shit. Not really wow. the foot because he would have torn out. Wow. Just untold. I, I don't know. know. How do you decide what you're wearing when you do circus stuff? It depends do on you the... shop. Do you have websites that you like to go? Or... Um, well, I totally want to find some routine where I can wear like the fetish gear from slickitup.com. Yes. Like I love that company, right? Get an endorsement. You, you know? Deal with them. Oh, I would love to. Um, yes. it, it sort of depends on the theme of the show that yeah. they're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. What about music? Is it fun to choose music? If, if it's a show that other people are doing, I really have no choice in it. Right. With the routine that I do at Booby Trap, uh, I do Irene Cara's Fame. Oh, man. Because it's got to be... You know what? It's a good song. It's a great song. And everybody Oscar in the audience winner. gets it. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the thing that I think that, like, you as the writer understand to... Or you as the writer-producer, I should say. You look at it and you go, if I use this song, it has an immediate resonance with the audience. So they're with you. From the very right. first note. They hear it and they're like, yes. Right. You know? Um, and that's where that comes about. Love it. Yeah. Hmm. Bang. Boom. There's accents. Oh, there are accents. Oh, just wait. I'll show you the video. Oh, Done. I can't wait. I'll show you the video. We'll, put, we'll post it on the thing. Okay. What celebrity death hit you the hardest? Um, Corey Monteith from Glee. Yeah. Interesting. And are I you don't... a Glee person? I was a Glee person. Yeah. Yeah. I like the Glees. I liked the Glee. When he left, or when he left, like it was a choice. When he, well, hmm, that depends on who you talk to. Um, right. When he died, um, I felt like the show never quite recovered. 
from that, although the final season, I think they really kind of brought it back, but um, I think because he was young, and there was this drug thing, that I'm like, fuck, there was nobody that could help you, you know, yeah. and that just makes me sad. But also, he seemed like such a good guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was the one that, also with that show, like, they made Leah Michelle's character get extreme. Like, yeah. I think they went, they, they were like, it was funny in first season, let's yeah. do it bigger, and then she right. became an, mm, a little right. annoying in season two. But when he was with her, it centered that thing. Right, and I feel like that's true in real life. Mm. I felt like, oh, Leah must not be that much of a nightmare because Corey's with her. Right. You know? And, and so... Like, he seems, like, decent. I think, I think also it's just... I mean, that one year, the year two of, like, George Michael and Prince and everybody... Yeah. That was also, like, a thing. Because I had such a crush on George Michael. Carrie Fisher. Yes. And then, you know, when she passed, and then Debbie Reynolds passed, we came home... Uh, we were... Uh, in San Francisco, and we came home that night, and we watched Wishful Drinking, and then um, the documentary that HBO released about yeah, the two of Star them. Bright or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever that docu was, yeah. we watched it too because we were like, God, it was such a it was such a year. Wow, right? yeah, it's a year. Let's not bring it down at the end no, of the podcast, not. Dennis. Let's Here's not. the fun. I said, that's why I saved this one. Oh, thank God. What was on your lunchbox as a kid, and how did you feel about it? The Muppet Show, and I was thrilled. You were delighted. I. Loved it. The Muppet Show was the one thing my dad and I had in common. It was the it was one thing. The crossover thing. We would. We loved the Muppet Show. He took me to the Muppet movie, to the Great Muppet Caper. The the thing we would do. Like I wasn't. My dad wasn't close. Close with us. Like it, like we all got along. It was fine. But like we weren't close. Close. But what we would do every night is after dinner we would walk up, uh, get an ice cream, come back to the house, and we would watch the Muppet Show. And having that Muppet Show lunch pail was everything to me. Like, I wish, I really want to find one on eBay. Right. And just have it, because um, it just brings me such happy memories of, of my relationship with my father. That's awesome. Yeah. That's lovely. Hmm. See, there you go. Thanks for bringing it home. Guys. I know. So, um, so tell people how people can learn more about you and also your book. Oh, so... Battle at the Comic Expo. So, Battle at the Comic Expo. you've created some other... Um, Oh, things, yeah. Things. There's like a whole campaign. There is. So so go to battleatthecomicexpo.com. Yes. But there are elements in the book that if you Google them, you will find that they exist on the internet. Wow. So there's a website. So you went, and bought, you went and bought those domains. I bought those domains. Yeah, the social media strategy. Create yeah. the fake convention. Create a Twitter account for right. the antagonists. Create the fake comic book company. So there's all of this stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, there are fun little Easter eggs for fans. I love it. Yeah. What do you hope people get from Battle at the Comic Expo? Uh, that I, you know, I, first off, I want them to be entertained. Yeah. I want them to have something that takes them out of their day and they yeah. enjoy themselves. Uh, but it's also a story about heroes and I hope that people, it makes people take pause and go, you know, all you need to do is some simple thing to somebody. Like say hi to a stranger. Smile at somebody. Right. To be a hero in that person's life for the day. Right. How can you be a hero in a person's life? And that's what I hope somebody gets out of it. Because something that keeps hitting me over and over again is you never really know what's going on in somebody. You don't know what their story is. They seem like they have it all perfect, Mm -hmm. and you don't know. And every once in a while, I'm reminded of that. Yeah. Just examples I see and whatever. And so... Be heroic. Be nice. Be just nice. Just be kind to each other. Like, how... How does that hurt you? It doesn't. doesn't. Hurt. Exactly. It doesn't. I feel like I feel like there was a time when you and I were talking um, years ago, where uh, we were talking about hiking, running, canyon, and you were like, "I just want people to smile at you when they walk past. I just want them to look at you and nod and smile. That's it. 
That's it. You know, and and I feel like that's it. Like, you don't know. Like, the it's amount the of crunch times, boys. The, uh, it's the crunch boys who won't acknowledge your existence. Because if they do, you they assume that you think, oh, they want to date me. I've got a shot. Right. I'm going to now talk to them at the water fountain. Um, and they don't want to start that series of events, so they're just going to... Shut it down. Shut it down. Start. The truth is, is, I can't tell you the amount of times when I've worked at stressful jobs where... Somebody nice in an elevator has helped me change my mood. Yeah. Or helped me change my bad attitude. Yeah. You know? And really, all it takes is somebody holding the door for you. Or somebody just smiling. Yeah. You know? It can really change a whole person's day. Yeah. So, I know it seems really trite, but I feel like right now, we just need simple acts of kindness. It's why I cry through Queer Eye. Oh, it's why I cry through Queer Eye. That yeah. is exactly right. Because it's just, oh, people can be nice. Mm-hmm. To and people that care. aren't exactly like them. It's right. It's kind of remarkable. Yeah. Um, I love this conversation. I love getting to see you and hear what you're up to. I'm so proud of you for making this book happen. Um, last question. Why do you write? Oh, because it's the only thing I can do that makes me happy. It just brings me such joy. Even when you're doing it. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, there have been assignments right. that weren't joyful, um, but really writing, I try to write every day something. That's amazing. I admire that. It I just, am, oh. it, to me, it's more, it's work. Mm-hmm. It's meaningful. Sometimes it's fun, but it's it's work. It's it, a certain kind of mental work yes. that uh, is never not there. It's when people say, oh, it just flowed out of me. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, no. You know what just flowed out of me? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. Don't but, say that. Yeah. No. But it, well, it is work. But other people but, are different. Other people, it, it does flow out It's joyful work for me, yeah. I think. I love I think it. that's it. Yeah. I love it. Hmm. All right. Super fun. Go check out all of his stuff. And um, thanks for doing the podcast. No, thank you, Dennis. Yay! Okay, Bye! Yay! Thanks again to Richard Andrioli. Check out his book, Battle at the Comic Expo. He truly is one of my favorite people that I never see. Um, But I was so glad I got to see him. And that house is, you guys, it's enchanting. That house. The life. Just husbands and a cute house in Highland Park. Love it. All right, so this happened. Um, I went to see the Celebration Theater's production of Cabaret, the musical, um, last week. And it's sensational. Uh, They do an incredible job especially in that small space. The performances are great. The direction by Michael Matthews, who's like a superstar, is so inspired. And I'd done the show twice in my life. I did it in college, and I, I did it right after college when I moved to L.A. And I was never any any big roles. I was always kind of in the ensemble. I did the gorilla that uh, dances in that monkey number, if you could see her. And um, it just brought back so many memories of doing those shows and the friends that I made and all that stuff. It was, it was crazy. And when I was in college, I was the gorilla in If You Could See Her, which is a song where the MC sees, uh, the MC sings with an ape and said, you know, if you could see her through my eyes, and then the punchline is she wouldn't look Jewish at all. So um, I was the female ape in like a little tutu. And one time I, I get all turned around at the end, which is part of the choreography. And then I would run off to the side of the stage backstage and then take off my monkey head right well one time I got a little turned around and got my direction wrong and I walked downstage and took off my 
monkey head and I was still on stage. I was like on the side stage where the little cabaret tables were and, and, uh, other members of the cast would like sit there and watch the show and stuff. And anyway, so I'm still on stage. I take off my thing and I'm mortified. And one of the guys that's sitting there in the cast, um, he could tell that I was a little disoriented. So he just kind of got up and walked me backstage during the show while it was going on. Like I was just a drunk, uh, waiter that did that bit and now can't figure out where to go. And then later, like the next day, the same guy gave me a map to off stage that he drawed just so I could find my way off stage. And um, I still have that map. And I have a little framed picture in my room of the map with a picture of that gorilla, me in that gorilla suit. Map to off stage. That's my camera story. Maybe I'll take a picture of that and post it on DennisAnyone.net. Um, but if you're in LA and you can go see that show, go see it. It's marvelous and so timely. I mean, wow. They draw some parallels between the current uh, situation here in America and this show about the rise of Nazism. Uh, some of it is sort of, um, they do some things conceptually that, that uh, draw those parallels really strongly. But also just the whole story. You don't even need, you don't need to over-labor that. It comes through loud and, cre- loud and clear about a, about a society that, that was in denial about what was happening. Um, or just, you know, couldn't seem to be able to stop it. Anyway, great show. Go see it. Um, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening and, uh, we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.